Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, our podcast series. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content at Open Banking Expo and your host for today's episode. And I'm joined by Todd Clyde, CEO of Token, uh, the open banking payments platform. Founded in 2016, Token went on to make history in 2018 when it became the first payment initiation service provider to conduct an end-to-end payment through a PSD2 compliant bank API. So far, 2021 has been a very busy year for the company. It started in January uh, with securing a $15 million Series B funding round. Then a partnership with BNP Paribas followed in March. And then Token was granted official European payments authorization by German Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, BaFin. Welcome, Todd. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Ellie. Wonderful to be here. Well, um, let's start by finding out a bit more about your role at Token. What, what does it entail? Well, I joined Token four years ago as the chief operating officer. And two years ago, the board asked me to take over as CEO. So that means I'm responsible for all aspects of the business. But you know, I've always said my three most important uh, aspects of my role are setting vision and strategy, ensuring, money that, ensuring that there's money in the bank, and then trying to inspire people. That's both our team our customers and our investors. Um, so before Token, I did four other startups. Each of them had a successful exit. Uh, one was in the e-learning space at the advent of the internet. And then one was very deep within internet banking and mobile banking. So kind of have a deep background in, in digital channels. Okay. And uh, so perhaps you can explain then what, what Token does and, and how it does it. Good. Yeah. So Token, we call ourselves an open banking payments platform, and we're looking to drive the shift from traditional payment methods to account to account payments. So what that means is we accomplish that by accessing the national clearing systems uh, through APIs provided by banks. So what I mean by that is, you know, payments can settle over the credit card networks. They could settle within a wallet. Um, There are some people thinking that eventually we're going to be settling over a distributed ledger using cryptocurrencies, but this is using the interbank clearing system. So faster payments in the UK, SEPA instance in Europe, ACH in the US um, to move money between banks. So what Token does to bring that to the mainstream is we connect to banks across Europe and we try to make this bank transfer more convenient than credit cards in e-commerce point of sale and, and business to business transactions. Yeah, and on um, on the subject of account to account payments or A to A payments, uh, as we might refer to them, uh, there's obviously quite a bit of noise around those at the moment, but they've historically been kind of viewed as an alternative payment method, haven't they? Can you explain why is that the case? Let me kind of take that in three parts then. So let me explain by what I mean by account to account payments. And then I'll look at why do cards dominate or why are cards the primary form of payment at this point in time? And and why are account-to-account payments limited to this alternative status? Um, So what I mean by account-to-account payments is, you know, because it's kind of a misnomer. Every payment starts in one bank account of the payer and ends up in another bank account of the merchant or uh, or, uh, the supplier. So what we're really talking about when we say account to account payments is how the payment settles. 
So again, a card payment settles over the proprietary networks that have been built by the card scheme. So the money moves from the account at a payer to the account of a merchant uh, facilitated by the card schemes over their networks. Okay, a wallet payment settles within a wallet. So uh, I, as a consumer, I fund my wallet, moving it from my bank account. It settles and moves within that wallet, within their ledgers to the merchant's accounts, and it's paid out by the wallet to the merchant accounts. So as I describe those, you hear both of those are intermediaries. So there, there's cost and friction inserted into those types of payments. So account to account payments settle over the national clearing systems that I mentioned just a minute ago. So faster payments, SEPA, ACH. So they go directly bank to bank, not through an intermediary. So just by removing that intermediary, there's huge opportunity to remove cost and friction in that. So let's look at why hasn't that happened. So first, why are cards the primary or the mainstream form of payment? So if you think about a merchant, there's three things they care about. So they care about reach, meaning how many consumers can use this payment method. They care about conversion, meaning is the payment going to be successful? And third, they care about the cost of that payment. So cards dominate on reach. You know, everybody has a debit card. Uh, most people have a credit card because they're accepted everywhere. You know, I know where I go, I'm going to be able to use that as a payment mechanism other than cash. Conversion rates are also very high. So given that they've really dominated in reach and conversion, merchants have been willing to accept the high cost uh, associated with them. So that's why, so that's what account account payments is. That's why um, cards are primary at the moment. Why are account account payments, why haven't they broken through? So the reason they haven't broken through is they lack this reach. And the reason they lack the reach is that it's difficult to access these national clearing systems. You know, it's difficult to access from a merchant um, to the faster payments in the UK. So there's no consistent way to initiate a payment account to account within a country, let alone an entire region like Europe. So they don't get used very much because the, their reach isn't very large and merchants often don't op offer them because again, uh, not a lot of people are used to, to using them. So that's why they've been uh, stuck in this alternative. And, and obviously I look forward to talking about um, what's changing now uh, to, to break through that. Yeah, that, thanks for sort of offering up that explanation as well. I think that's, that's really helpful. And so then just, just moving, as you say, moving on to, to the next stage really, which is, is talking about how those payments are, are coming into the mainstream. And I wondered what role is, is open banking playing here in, in that shift to the mainstream? Yeah, so as I said, the, the, the major barrier uh, to initiating an account account payment has been the difficulty of accessing the national clearing systems. So these, these do exist. So you can do what I call a disconnected bank transfer. So this is very common in business to business. I get an invoice, it tells me the bank details. I go to my banking app, I set them up as a beneficiary, I transfer them money. I hope I've typed in the information correctly and then the reconciliation's a headache. So, you know, you could never really think about a disconnected bank transfer happening in e-commerce or at a point of sale. You know, that's just what I just described is, is too cumbersome. But there is something called, it's, it's called OBEP, so Online Banking Electronic Payments. And these are people that have, these are companies that have basically hacked ac access to the bank settlement rails. 
So there's companies that use direct debit to try to sit in an e-commerce transaction um, and they access the clearing system through direct debit. There are others that have used screen scraping to uh, in essence, uh, allow you to log into your online banking, set up a de beneficiary, push a payment all from within uh, uh, an electron an e-commerce flow. And there are some that have done this for a single country where they've uh, had to integrate very tightly with the national clearing system of that country. So think of Ideal in the Netherlands, Jeropay in Germany or EPS in, in Austria. So they exist, but it's been a hack to get access to that system. So what the inflection point that we're facing is that open banking has really opened up access to these national clearing systems. So you know, faster payments is the highway uh, to settle funds. SEPA Instant is the highway to settle funds. Um, open banking APIs basically build thousands of new on-ramps onto that highway, you know, really making it easy to drive traffic. So, so yeah, I absolutely think this is a huge inflection point that's going to catapult account-to-account -account payments from alternative into the mainstream and, you know, eliminate the trade-offs. So, you know, the benefits of an account-to-account -account payment is they're much lower cost. We've now solved the problem of reach. So uh, with these APIs, I can do a consistent account-to-account -account, uh, solution across all of Europe and eventually the world. So there's no training of consumers. There's no onboarding of users. Uh, I simply initiate and authenticate the payment in the banking app that I'm probably using every single day anyway. Um, and the last benefit, obviously, for merchants, in addition to cost, is the immediate settlement and, and the benefit that that provides to their liquidity. Okay, so lots of lots of benefits, and the technology is obviously there. So then what needs to happen, uh, or what do maybe organizations need to do to bring account-to-account -account payments more into the mainstream um, and away from being seen as this alternative payment method, which obviously kind of comes with slightly negative connotations. Yeah, so we're seeing that um, in the UK especially, we're really getting to the early majority uh, as far as merchants starting to ask for this payments capability. You know, it's gone through the visionaries, it's gone through the early adopters. Um, now it's reaching this early majority because the cost savings are so compelling. So merchants basically need to ask their gateway uh, or existing payment provider for this capability. Gateways then are moving in mass. You know, they will have to provide this because their merchants are demanding it. Um, payment service providers, gateways, acquirers, they have the most to lose here because open banking can plumb in around them and disintermediate them. So they've got to offer this so they could uh, provide this lower cost payment mechanism for their merchants. But there's also a tremendous opportunity for them. You know, uh, gateways have been squeezed between merchants and schemes for so long and their margins have just eroded. So this is really a new payment proposition that can be passed through at a lower cost, but actually drive greater margin for the uh, acquirers, especially as they add their value added services such as merchant accounts, reconciliation, reporting, uh, all around it. So need merchants to adopt it, obviously uh, gateways and existing payments providers to uh, uh, supply it. And, and then everybody always says, boy, you know, Todd, doesn't there need to be a catalyzing event, um, you know, like 
everybody said contactless. Nobody, everybody talked about the technology RFID, um, um, but nobody says I'm doing an RFID payment. What really made that take off was Transport for London uh, and the use of it on, on, the, on the underground. Um, and people say, what's the same catalyzing event for open banking? And I believe it's actually already happening. And, and I call it the FinTech explosion. So, you know, Ellie, I'm sure you have, I have two PFM apps on my phone. I have two payment apps on my phone. Uh, I have two other challenger banks on my phone. So, you know, I've got these alternative accounts. I've got alternative payment methods. I've got uh, the ability to see my finances, um, consumer lending apps. All of those need to access the existing banking system for data or for loading funds. And uh, so I believe every single FinTech uh, app that requires a stored value or moving in the funds is gonna be using open banking transfers, open banking payments as a way of loading those funds. So, so that to me is gonna be the major catalyzing event that's gonna acclimate all consumers and is really gonna drive this to go uh, mainstream. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's means that we're in a hugely exciting time then, doesn't it? Um, and with that in mind then, I'm wondering where do you see account to account payments in sort of five years time uh, I know that's obviously, you know, a lot can happen in, in a year, as, as we all know too well. Uh, but yeah, wh where do you think it will be? What, what kind of reach will A2A payments have, say, in, in five years? Well, it, it's interesting because in just two years, there are two research studies that have predicted that account to account payments will surpass the use of either credit cards or debit cards. So uh, both McKinsey and WorldPay um, in their annual payments reports, have both uh, surveyed the size of the market, surveyed the opportunity, believe that there is this inflection point that's happening right now through APIs. And they both predicted that account to account payments will surpass the use of credit uh, or debit cards within that time period. So within, within five years, you know, I would certainly think it could surpass the use of the combined usage of uh, credit and debit cards. But, you know, I really look at, uh, I believe that in five years, we're gonna drop the word alternative uh, when we describe account to account payments. So I mentioned my background in digital channels and I was I really worked in them basically for like 14 years, uh, first with internet banking and then mobile banking. And they reported into somebody that was called, you know, VP of alternative channels. They were always called the alternative channel, meaning, meaning the, uh, uh, the branches were the dominant channel. And, phone bank was was second after that. And it took us 15 years to drop the name alternative. Um, so my prediction is, is that's gonna happen a lot more quickly on account to account payments. And within five years, uh, to answer your question, they will not be called an alternative payment method. They will simply become a dominant or mainstream digital uh, payment method. Well, we'll hold you to that, Todd, uh, and uh, we'll see where we are in five <laughs> bring years' time. Bring, yeah, bring me back in five years and uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on slightly to talk about um, the partnership that I, I mentioned that you that Token has with BNP Paribas. Uh, can you tell us a bit, a bit more about that? How, how did it come about? Yeah, so it's our business model. Uh, Token doesn't sell direct to merchants. We focus on enterprises that provide payments. So we target payment service providers, acquirers, gateways, cash management divisions of banks. 
So within the cash management divisions of BNP, there's a, a, a division called Accepta, which is their acquiring arm. Um, and Accepta basically wanted to bring the power of SEPA Instant to their merchants and to their corporate customers. And, um, and really saw that open banking was the inflection point that would allow that to uh, sit in e-commerce point of sale, et cetera. So they selected token. Um, we uh, did about a four to six month uh, implementation project with them, talking to customers, defining the offering. Um, and then they launched a product that's called Instania uh, from, from instant payments. Um, it's live within France, expanding across Europe. Um, it's live in point of sale, loading a wallet. It's live in stores. So um, there's a retailer that basically sells home furnishings. Uh, it's a longer um, uh, selection process. It's a longer checkout process. And they're using bank transfers right there uh, in stores. And they're also using it for traditional e-commerce. E so you know, what role does BNP play and what role does uh, token play? So really everything the consumer and the merchant sees end to end looks like BNP uh, and it's called Instania. But really all of that, you know, from the, from the payment button on the payment wall to selecting your bank to pay, to granting consent, um, then, you know, even on the merchant side, uh, the merchant portal and onboarding themselves, the developers uh, integrating into the payment wall the reporting that the merchants get, even, even the bill that they receive, um, it all looks like BMP, but all that end-to-end -end is being powered by token. Um, so that's tokens technology uh, under the covers. Um, so we're doing the same for HSBC and HSBC in the UK has launched open payments uh, and they are also live with uh, with several, several merchants at this point in time. Yeah, so that's um, summarizing uh, the answer to your question. That's our target market. Uh, we try to be the platform inside the platform, and we want to be the simplest way to add open banking payments to an existing payments platform. Yeah, I, I was going to ask actually, what what sort of um, what do you hope to achieve with those partnerships over the long term? So yeah, not just the the BNP Paribas one, but the HSBC one you mentioned there as well. Well, obviously, t for them to help drive this shift to account account payments, so. The reason it's a tremendous fit, I've mentioned earlier why it's a great fit for acquirers. You know, it it uh, it helps them generate more margin while delivering a lower cost and avoid being squeezed between the merchants and the schemes. So for tier one banks, um, uh, uh, cash management divisions that maybe have sold off their acquiring division like HSBC did, why does it make sense for them to offer this? Well, it makes sense because it's completely compatible with their cash management uh, offering. So if you think about what a corporate bank does, it, it gives accounts, it gives liquidity solutions, it provides loans, it provides payment solutions. And so this is a payment solution that allows them to deepen their relationship with their merchant customers or their corporate customers. Um, and it meets all those goals. You know, it's a lower cost of accepting payment. It settles more quickly, helping with the liquidity for that merchant. So I, I view it very synergistic with the offerings of uh, any corporate bank uh, or any corporate uh, division within a large tier one bank. Let's uh, let's talk a bit about that. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, um, the the fact that token was granted um, 
official European payments authorization by BaFin earlier this year. Um, you previously called them the kind of gold standard of regulators. And I was wondering um, what, what you mean by that. Well, what I mean by that is, you know, there, there's 28 regulators in the 28 countries of the European economic area. Um, not all regulators are the same and licenses from certain regulators are viewed differently from others. So for example, um, a, a license granted by the FCA in the UK before Brexit passported very, very quickly to every other country with very little additional scrutiny. Um, Germany, the same way uh, that, uh, again, the rigor that we have to go through with, uh, with, with Boffin is significant. And as such, you know, we passported uh, within days to the other 27 countries. You know, whereas if you were to get licensed in another country that is not as well known for the rigor, um, that it, it takes a lot longer to passport to other countries. And, and certainly our vision is to be a pan-European solution. Um, so we uh, chose Germany, we chose Bothen to, um, once you get over the first big hurdle, uh, again, the benefits of quickly passporting is there, and and I believe it, it makes a big statement to customers. You know, we we sell to tier one banks, we sell to tier one acquirers. Um, we are ISO twenty seven thousand and one certified. We are PCI DSS certified. Um, uh, we go through extreme security, risk, and compliance vetting. And so, you know, really just kind of choosing the most difficult one and, and kind of like I, I called it the gold standard, I think also delivers a very strong message to our, to our customers. Yeah. And at the same time as, as you announced that authorization, um, you also announced that you were opening an office in at Berlin. So uh, just wondering what was behind the decision to open in, in that particular city? Well, the decision first was where did we want to become regulated post Brexit, and uh, and that decision was Germany. And then the decision is is where do you open an office uh, within there? Um, and you know, I look at, I, I consider San Francisco, London, and Berlin to be the three fintech capitals in the world. Um, you know, sure there are other ones and, and emerging ones, but to me they're really known as the center of uh, a financial technology. Um, so by locating there, it gives you access to talent. Um, it gives you proximity to partners and customers. And, uh, and yeah, establishing a team is tough. It, it takes time, it takes money. Um, but it was important for us to do so, not only for Brexit, but also really to firmly establish ourselves as a European uh, entity. Um, as we look to expand significantly uh, on the continent. So, uh, so yeah, really just um, uh, regulatory requirement and uh, FinTech capital of the world and uh, access to resources and customers in, the, in that area. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, that there are a couple of challenges that come with, with opening up a new office in a, in a new location. So what did you learn from that process? You know, what does it take to establish a team you know, in, in a, a new sort of location? Um, well, it was uh, very unique in COVID because uh, we were not doing face-to-face -face interviews. We were not flying to Berlin or flying people to London. Uh, so really it's about getting uh, good leadership in place, uh, getting a good recruiting staff, uh, leveraging uh, contacts that you have within your existing team, um, uh, 
creating a good employer brand, you know, getting people excited about the opportunity in, uh, in open banking and in account to account payments and in token as a brand. And um, so, you know, that's a lot of groundwork um, to be done before you list your first uh, job description or job opening and before you do your first interview. So I'd say it was kind of just all that preparation that was what that was required. And, and so how many offices does, does Token have now and, and where are those based? We, so our European office is, in, is headquartered in Berlin. Um, we still have a team in, uh, in London uh, and we will maintain that. And, uh, and we still have our core research and development, um, kind of the, the core developers on our platform based in San Francisco. Um, you know, and conditions are starting to change in the United States for, for open banking. So, you know, I definitely view that in our future, uh, once we fully establish uh, our position here uh, within Europe, that we would certainly look to launch within North America as well. Well, that's, that's great to hear. And we will obviously uh, look forward to hearing more on that, uh, on that potential perhaps opening as it, as it comes. But Todd, for now, thanks so much for joining me today, for talking to me. Um, I know we've had quite a wide ranging interview, but uh, it's really good to hear from you. Good. Well, thank you, Ellie. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I think uh, Open Banking Expo is just a, a great thought leader in this space and a great facilitator of the community around the, this topic. So I appreciate all that you guys do. Oh, thank you. That's, that's really good to hear. I'd just like to say thanks once again to Todd for joining me on today's episode. And of course, thank you for listening. Uh, as always, we'll be back next week with another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. But for now, if you fancy listening to previous episodes, we've had some great guests on the podcast. So visit openbankingexpo.com and go to the on-demand section where you can also view previous episodes of Open Banking Expo TV and some of our live panel debates are also available on demand. Until next time, goodbye for now.